What's up everyone and welcome to the Real Happy Hour Podcast. I am your host, Ola, and today's a very special episode. On today's episode of the Real Happy Hour Podcast, I've got a guest host coming in to interview a special, special guest. And the two people obviously on the show are special, but uh, one of my friends, his name is Entube. He's an actor, model, um, IT specialist, and a producer and content producer and journalist is a, is a lot of things and he has gracefully um, accepted my invitation to be a guest host where he's going to be speaking to a celebrity an actor and um, I'm gonna wait for him to come on the show to um, show you the surprise and I'm sure you're going to really really enjoy this episode this has been really fun and it's been exciting and I can just, I can't wait for you all to enjoy it. Please like and subscribe to my channel on YouTube if you're watching this on YouTube and if you're streaming this from every platform that it's available on, please like, follow and leave us a review because um, it's really, really important to know how you feel. After you've um, seen this episode, can you please leave a message on my social media, um, The Real Happy Hour Podcast on Instagram or um, TikTok with the there's going to be a clue with the message Bridgerton Hi and welcome to The Real Happy Hour and no, I'm not Ola I'm your guest host Unzube Ufodike and in the studios with us live is my friend Cyril Inri Cyril Inri, that's me Indeed and we're in for a rapid fire conversation there's a lot to dig into it's all about bridgerton it's all about cyril we know lord danbury from the charlotte bridgerton series but before we go into that um just as a bit of background you obviously an actor and director cyril and you've done quite a lot of work do you mind just sharing a little bit about some of the stuff that you would like to let our audience know that you've done Okay, um, let me see now. Um, <laughs> there I is always, a lot to go. I always hate this question when you're in auditions and they say, well, what have you been doing lately? And I go, you've got the sheet in front of you there. Just um, <laughs> read it. Um, yeah. I have been going, oh, since Adam was a boy. Um, I started working in um, 1979 as an actor. Um, or I went to drama school in 1979 and I yeah. left in 82. And I started with the Royal Shakespeare Company. Um, and the Royal Shakespeare Company was, um, yeah, they were small parts at that point, but I was very lucky to get in. At that point, they only took, um, well, they, I suppose they would take one black actor a year, um, one male, one female. Um, so that year, um, I was lucky. <laughs> um, yeah, I got in. Um, and that was a, a year before finishing drama school. From there on, um, having done quite a bit of Shakespeare, I um, left and um, went to the Manchester Royal Exchange where I did some more Shakespeare and um, lots of new plays um, and a musical, um, Class K, and then on to the Royal Court. And yeah, and it sort of carried on. For about the first 13 years, I mainly did theatre. Um, I see. Between the National Theatre. Classically trained. Yeah, a bit classically trained. That makes sense. And, um, <laughs> so it was mainly theatre. Yeah. But not really out of choice. Um, you just sort of fell into a groove, really, and you okay. did that. So, yeah, that was um, that was what I, yeah, I did that for 13 years old. And then um, um, 
I wanted to do more TV and stuff, and it was never coming my way. And um, essentially, I had to leave the agent I was with um, and join a new agency. Okay. And stop working in theatre for a while because um, people get used to what you do. They cast they you in certain roles. In a yeah. certain, yeah. I mean, yeah. I was playing lots of different roles, but okay. it was all theatre. All theatre, okay. And mainly for the same directors, repeated, 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 you know. Yeah. Um, and then... Um, I remember seeing you a couple of, like, Royal Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm... Well... Hamlet. You're, you're talking later. You're oh, talking okay. later in life. That <laughs> okay. was way later, yeah. Right, okay. Um, no, I mean, this was real spear-carrying stuff um, that I was doing way back then. And um, So, yeah, I did, did that for a while. And then yeah. I left that agency and joined another agency um, where a friend of mine was, Paul McGann, at the time. Um, and I didn't work I remember she said to me you can't do any theater darling you just have to um trust me and within two months I'd got my first tv part um and it sort of went on from there really um and now I do I mean people will have I suppose theater wise um things like the barbershop chronicles I saw um, that that was brilliant yeah in your okay yeah in your alum's wonderful Mm-hmm. Um, treaties on on blackmail, mm-hmm. you know, and them getting their hair cut and dealing with all their problems in life at the barbers um, all over the world, and um, so that was that was a great show. Um, then you had things like um, Julius Caesar, the All Black Julius Caesar at, um, at the RSC. Mm-hmm. Um, you had um, Hamlet, which um, mm-hmm. I, I played Polonius, yeah. um, and then on TV. Um, I suppose the first really, really big breaks came, um, well, I did Family Affairs, which was a Channel 5 soap, and um, I did EastEnders, and I, yeah, you know, various things like that. You did This Life? Uh, I did This Life, that which was, was a, the, yeah, 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 it, it, only, be, it only became a cult classic later. Um, it was ahead of its time. It was um, okay. dealing with the... Um, minutiae of office politics in set in the law and indeed such, yeah. and being a 20 something yeah. in london yeah something it was it was that it sort was, of it was the sexual politics of the well office, there was that really. too <laughs> yeah, yeah. so um yeah. i mean it started with a blowjob in a toilet so yeah i suppose it had to go on from there yeah um, <laughs> you know, yeah. um it, it never really got into court it was just about the politics in the office and mm. and those friendships um so yeah i did that um which did turn out to be a seminal piece of television again um i've been very lucky that way in terms of you know um doing stuff which really has an impact i suppose about every 10 years apart um so stuff like this life stuff like the bill which is a classic of course um you know um the classic first black superintendent well Actually, you say that. Well, in the you UK, say that. Historic. In the, yeah, you sort of say that. Um, he was a top black cop. And I always correct people because actually um, we need to know our history. Okay. You know, and um, Ready to be what sold. people do is they, they tend to, we're always reinventing the wheel. So I like to look back and go, um, actually, you know what? If you look back, there was a character called Walcott. 
Okay. Which was played by an actor called George Harris. Fantastic, wonderful actor. You may have seen him in the Harry Potters and um, in um, Bond, James Bond, okay. and various other things. And um, uh, what's the one with the whip? Um, uh, and the Barbarian? No, no, not, not <laughs> that. No, no, and the whip and the hat and... Um, uh, the Explorer. Um, oh, Spielberg. Indiana Jones. Indiana Come Jones. On. Yeah. Various, yeah. All these <laughs> sorts of. Uh, George is one of those uh, wonderful, wonderful actors okay. who've done so much on on stage, on film, on. You know, and um, lest we forget our history, you know, it's those guys who went before me who mm. actually did this stuff. George played, I mean, he was the title character of a, of a cop series. Okay. He was playing clothes, but. Um, he was a top cop, and um, you know you get you get all these things. You know you got to look back at Norman Beaton and Rudolph and various others that came before Thomas Baptiste, and they did wonderful, wonderful they work. Set that foundation. Yeah. They made it. They set that foundation. It wasn't. Like it wasn't easy when I came on. in, but um, okay. you know it was just carrying on a long line of slowly um, chipping away. Mm. You know, and and really doing all this wonderful positioning work. more characters. Another yeah. one that was seminal work as well was obviously cucumber. Cucumber, cucumber <laughs> was, was cucumber was a classic piece yeah. of work. Um, partly because it was it was about middle aged gay men. I mm-hmm. mean, when do you get that? You know, um, I suppose the in in all you know as with women, you know, tend to disappear after a certain age, mm-hmm. you know, and then only come back as very old women. Um, you know, um, gay life is generally only depicted by those who are beautiful. Indeed. You know, um, the young and the beautiful. The young and the beautiful. And um, so what happens to all those old guys? You know? Yeah. And um, then they just get a grinder or? <laughs> uh, Grinder wasn't invented when they were first around, Kidding. you know. And um, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, it is that um, it is that thing of, well, it's the, I mean, it, it is the seminal and wonderful, um, you know, Russell T. Davis, who, yeah, um, on on all on all sides, but you know, particularly with work concerning LGBTI uh, QI, um, Russell has been, you know, with queer as folk and boys of course just so many um you know documenting our history yeah um you know and it's looking at work like that and and you think yeah this is um it it was a fantastic that centered queerness uh, in a way that television or mainstream hadn't done before yeah and as he did with queer as folk Mm. um you know um and yeah he's he's done that He's done that always. That's not to say that, you know, we, we don't want to forget people like Ricky Beadle Blair. Of who, course. You know, yeah. um, Noah's Ark, um, Metrosexuality. Um, yeah. you know. um, so there are the people who have made these programs. And I suppose I've been lucky enough to be on the edges of some of those programs, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and not to get typecast. Indeed. Um, to, to be able to move around from one sphere into another. I remember yeah. also seeing Knots and Crosses, and you had a very ah, different character yeah, as well yeah, from yeah, what we're yeah. going to go into next, yeah. in Bridgerton. Yeah, well, Knots and Crosses again, you know, a lawyer um, and quite stern, mm-hmm. and um, I, I do tend to get to play what I call a lot of blue suits. Um, you know, I've been, I've been a lot of characters in law. Um, you know, judges, policemen, 
constable. You have that judicial yeah, I energy. I, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I like to think it's God having a joke. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, so putting me on the right side of the law. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. At least on television. Uh, on television. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so, now I'm showing real life too. Yeah. yeah, you know, um, yeah. And, my devils yeah. with the law have, have been, um, yeah. <laughs> very, very, very slight. Yeah. Very, very slight. Very, very okay. Slight, yeah. <laughs> but moving on to Bridget yeah. and the highlight of this particular episode. Okay, yeah. Obviously with Charlotte, Queen Charlotte, it Queen broke Charlotte, yeah. many records. So I think the show was number one in several countries at the same time and it hit, like, it just smashed I, many Netflix records. Yes, it Did has. you expect it, it to be so big when you signed up to join um, the Bridgerton cast? Uh, let me put it this way. Shonda Rhimes, yeah. um, you know, is... Again, one of those um, characters, um, one of those showrunners, writers, who you can only hope as an actor to to get to be part of that world. And um, you know, I've been very lucky in in um, getting that. Even with such a, I mean, the character that I played is is actually there very briefly. Um, he was impactful. But it's he was hard very to forget impactful. who he is, especially given what he did. Yeah, well, given what he did, given given his uh, yeah, and his um, narrative. You know, you know, you hope Africa. Yeah, you hope to that be. Period piece, you hope to be in whatever you're playing. Mm. You know, a really influential um, part of the narrative. What I call within the intellectual kernel of the piece, you know, mm. within the within the emotional and intellectual kernel of the central family in whatever the piece is. You mm. know, so you're actually making a great difference to the telling of that story. To the telling of that yeah. whole story arc. Your influence, yeah. your character's influence. Yeah. And yeah. okay. And, you know, those those have always been the actors I've admired. You know, they mm. seem um sort of I suppose quiet. Um, they they are associated with whatever the program is, rather than being you know um, the star um, mm. who is above the title. Gotcha. They fit in in the same way as um, if you looked at um, let's look at the characters in the wire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I still haven't um, seen The Wire. You haven't seen I've, The Wire? I've heard oh lots of great God. things, so I still haven't seen The Wire. I'm not sure I can have this conversation <laughs> with a man who hasn't <laughs> seen The Wire. I mean, what is going on? Where are your credentials? How are you here? Um, <laughs> no, I know the podcast host. Omar. <laughs> yes. Omar in The Wire. Probably the... Um, well, Barack Obama said... Um, Greatest character. Um, well, if you TV had been in the wire, maybe I'd have seen it. If you know. if I if I had yeah. been in the wire, yeah, exactly. I would be, Why did they give you a role in I, the wire? Well, I wish I'd been in the wire. <laughs> I would have been jumping cock a hoop, um, you know. But Omar, mm-hmm. the character of Omar in in the wire, was a a black gay, unashamedly gay, um, drug, um, Robin Hood type character. Stole from other drug dealers, <laughs> you know. I think it's sex um, scenes in the wire. They did, but um, you I know, did. I mean, he was a gay character who just was unashamed and was fantastic and just brilliant. And you look at that sort of character, you go, "Wow!" Okay, look at that and the actor that played him. Sadly, passed on now. But um, 
you know, just brilliant and just got the essence of that character. And those are the sort of, you know, I suppose they, they would in old times be called character actors or whatever. Mm. But you fit into the piece. You fit into the style of the piece. It's about knowing um, what the style is that you're in mm -hmm. and fitting into that so that people come up and they go, oh, you were the guy who was, but they can't remember necessarily your name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they know that they loved you in that because you fitted so well into the style of the piece. You told the story, but it's hard um, to forget Lord Danbury's name. It is <laughs> very hard to forget. It's hard to forget so Lord Danbury's name, but you can forget my name because people come up and they go Lord Danbury, and that's <laughs> even you know. Um, yeah, I suppose partly the voice, but um, but you know. It, once you've taken away all the makeup, all the makeup. So, yeah, what was yeah. it like getting under the like makeup chair, and how Ooh. many hours did it take to get all that gig on? Initially, it took three and a half hours wow. to um, to get made up, and um, yeah, it was really um, it was a really interesting makeup. It was made up of so many bits. I think online there is a there is a slow mo capture of I um, saw that yeah of me getting made up. Um, which they then speed up into like sort of half a minute or something. And I see you patiently yeah. there, like and on the chair, yeah. while they and, at these and that was like three and a half hours wow. from beginning to end. So you're, I mean, it's it's grueling because you are actually being put into a. It's like the man in the iron mask. Mm. Essentially, you're being put into a rubber mask, which comes on in bits, but essentially is a whole helmet. You know, mm. once you put the hair on and all the rest of it. So you're sort of trapped. I can inside. imagine. But, yeah. And only on a couple of mornings did I have, um, I had some claustrophobia in there. You know, when you get an itch and you know you're... I was going to say, um, you need to scratch you your upper scratch, brow. It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you can't actually get to your own skin. Yeah. Um, and you know that this is thousands of pounds worth of makeup, teeth, hair, whatever that's going on. You can't rip it off halfway through, partly because people are waiting for you to get on set and you've been there since, you know, 4.30 in the morning because you have to arrive so much earlier than everybody else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, because it's a complex makeup. Mm. Um, so, the end result, I loved. It's convincing because not many people recognize you. They yeah, thought it was exactly. another totally actor completely. Yeah, which is great. Which is great. Um, and I love the compliments yeah. about, um, you know, oh my God, why did you make such a young, beautiful man into this ugly old character? Um, yes, more of those compliments, please. Yes, I know, absolutely gorgeous the man. The contrast, yeah. You know, yeah. Anyhow. Um, but also the character but, um, himself, how would you say his character evolved over the season? So we've seen season one, and without giving too much away, can you share a little well, bit more about how his character I mean, you know, the thing is, when, when you've got up, such a small, up. when you've mm. got such a small, um, I mean, he is, he's essential, mm -hmm. and I wanted him to be essential. He is also funny, even though a lot of the time, what he's dealing with, he takes out his emotions, mm -hmm. he takes out his own trauma, um, which is a lifelong drip, drip, drip trauma on his wife, mm. you know, um, who's a lot younger. Um, very clever though. Yeah, she she knew what she's, she wanted. She's, she's very extremely strategic. clever. Yeah, but then, you know, the whole point is that women 
in those times, and if you look right across the British even world, today, arguably, and today, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, are in a position where you have to use a certain amount of guile mm-hmm. and your innate intelligence to combat um, what is. A misogynistic society. The patriarchy. You know, the patriarchy. I don't know if you so. saw Barbie and it's going to attack. I haven't but, seen Barbie. Okay, you should see Barbie. I, 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 I know Barbie. that I am now, you know, I, I talked to you about The Wire, but I know that, you know, Honestly, I, it, it was used as a cultural reference the other day in it rehearsal. It is so eye-opening. There's so much, oh, I have the to layers. See this I mean, you yeah. go in thinking it's, oh, it's Barbie. Like, you can't expect yeah. anything too deep, too serious. Yeah. But, it touches on so many things that you just highlighted within, yeah. you know, how women have to navigate society yeah. and the patriarchy and misogyny, etc. and misogyny noir. Yeah. So it's yeah. just fantastic. Yeah. But, but yeah. So, I mean, you, you've got a character like that who is introduced mm. to the world of, uh, to the world of Bridgerton on the job as such. He is, you know, in, he's in the middle of the act. Yeah. Of, of, of sex, which is essentially non-consensual. It, it is. It's basically him, you know, forcing yeah. himself and his wife. So, you know, you've got all that, and yet you have to have a character who can be understood mm. um, and laughed along with as well as at, you know, which is a, is a fine line to, to, to go along. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, I mean, one of the joys of having had a long um, theatrical career um, is that you can you can touch on that, and as long as you keep truth in there, you know, it doesn't really matter that you know you're you're larger than life as such on screen, because uh, you know there were points where during filming, not only with the the Cage. the makeup and <laughs> yeah. the hair and I suppose there was there was quite a lot of performance in his look mm-hmm. and um, so to get through all that and to make him a believable um, character who you could hate and also sympathise with. Sympathize? Yeah, I think so. Well, you don't think so. But actually, if you look, if you look to moments when he actually confides in her that he will never be treated in the way in which he feels he ought to be, they will always string me along at one point, and it's after sex. You know, after non-consensual sex, te- yeah, and the more truthful, but yeah, and it's the truthful man going, mm. "I am, you know, because of my color, because of whatever else, I will never be treated in the way in which I." And that's fantastic in a popular drama like that to deal with that, you know. So I think to hit all those things, the joy of having played a Polonius, who is a mm. character who essentially is laughed at. But it actually is the person who keeps the whole of that um, Danish society running. Um, he is that civil servant who is essentially, who essentially does not want his kids to get involved with this privileged royal family who are totally, you know, in modern terms, you know, they are they're just a walking trauma mill. You know, I mean, 
please break out the psychiatrist. They all need help, you know. Indeed. Marrying the uncle, killing yeah. the dad, mm-hmm. you know, all the rest of it. You know, and essentially what he tries to do is he tries to keep, as a single dad, you know, mm. Polonius, you never meet his wife. You know, um, he's a single dad bringing up these children. And he's trying to inculcate in his kids, you know, this sense of honour, um, which in his speech to, to his son, you get all of that in there. And in trying to protect his daughter and keep her away from Hamlet. And, you know, and yet he is a laugh as well. You know, mm. And you can laugh at him. So when you've got all that and you, you take all those little bits of, um, playing down the years, you yeah. Know, um, like with the Cassius figure from Julius Caesar, you know. Um, I mean, I worked out with the help of a doctor friend of mine that uh, you know Cassius essentially suffers from you know um, a you know bipolar type um, you know reaction to life, and um, yeah, and it's. It's quite fascinating when you put in those things and you realise, wow, Shakespeare had covered all this way before Freud had ever thought of it or was born or, you know, young or any of those characters. And he's dealing with the human condition. And when you've got all that training, then you can bring that to, hopefully, bring that to a a Lord Danbury character and make people both um, hate him um, I remember somebody coming, it might have been you, uh, and saying, um, when he said to her, you know, yeah. um, as they got out of the carriage, you know, mm-hmm. I hated you, you know, um, but you also had that um, thing of, did he just really say that, you know? So mm-hmm. um, it was one of those things where you, so you've got that, yeah, you can laugh at him, you can hate him. Maybe some would have a degree of sympathy, but I love that juxtaposition of the classics there, the Paulinus, Hamlet, Peter Caesar, and, you know, that, those characters that were so multi-layered, and then bringing it to television where Shonda Rhimes has created the whole Bridgerton, where we have these references, I mean, semi-historical, and you have yeah. these stories that are so rich. It, it gives yeah. it another layer that makes it a lot more accessible. It's, it's a, you know, when, when you look at it, it is mentioned that actually Danbury's family mm. is the family. His father essentially propped up exactly. the, the king, yeah. you know, the previous King. The African king. royal family. Yeah, <laughs> their Indeed. riches. It was their money, their wealth. It was giving me a bit of their Leopold copper, vibes. And, their copper, yeah. all that stuff, all the gold, all the whatever, that propped up this, you know, mm. this family. Um, and yet you never got any of the... There's no reciprocation of, the, of the, that. No, there's no reciprocation. Yeah, no. You know. yeah. Um, and so when you get all that, then you go, oh, yeah, look at the the wonderful depth behind mm. this character and what drives him to then, you know... It's that old thing of you know yeah well the uh, the master kicked the you know servant the servant yeah. kicked the dog the dog bit the cat the cat <laughs> you know so Indeed. yeah and and we take it out on each other but when you when you look at it like that it becomes really complex and it's wonderful and it's it's a wonderful world to be in um, you know I I suppose before before the Bridgerton days I was hoping to um, you know um, spend some time if if possible. In, in one of Shonda's American series. You know, mm. that would be great. I can um, see you in Grey's yeah, Anatomy. Uh, 
You can see so visiting surgeon yeah, yeah, from the okay, UK. Well, yeah. well, I could either be from the UK or, <laughs> or from any care. other parts of the world. Maybe care. a Nigerian, yeah. actually a Nigerian doctor. A Nigerian yeah, doctor so. would be really interesting now. Because we have so many yeah, Nigerian yeah, medics are, in the... Oh, in the US. Loads. Exactly. But loads. how many characters are in, you know, I Shonda Rhimes? Shonda, you know. Dr. I already want, I already want, you know, I won't give anything away, but... You know, as um, Bridgerton is set, you know, a number of years after yes. um, Queen Charlotte, because Queen Charlotte is a prequel, mm. I think, you know, without the makeup, I could come back as one of my children. I keep saying this, Sean. That is so and, true. You know, um, <laughs> there is, there, you would have the family similarity, <laughs> you know. So maybe we'll see you in the second yeah. season. Of yeah, yeah, you know, just because um, <laughs> Bridgerton 3 has just been done. So, yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's scope there, there's scope. Fantastic. Looking forward to that. And what was it like? The final question I have for you. What was it like actually being within the ton and the, the world, the physical world that had been created for the studios and stuff? What was it like? Apart from getting into the makeup of, you know, that was a little bit. Uh, the, you know. the thing is, the Bridgerton is, you know, the whole Bridgerton world mm -hmm. is now such a big thing. You know, I don't, I don't know when Bridgerton first appeared. Um, obviously, it's a Shonda Rhimes, so therefore it's going to be big anyhow. Yeah. But it it hit the ground running, and there have been lots of copies since. Of course. You know, Even in, the Bridgerton various, Balls in yeah, London, yeah. and you have Bridgerton-themed yeah. everything. But, I mean, now. there are loads the of whole, other programs yeah. now that ape that sort of um, that world. Mm -hmm. And um, so it sort of does its own thing. Mm -hmm. It it definitely keeps a lot of the stately homes of Britain in in um, gainful employ. <laughs> of course, know, because from, maintaining those from Hampton grounds. Court to the bath pump mm -hmm. rooms, to, you know, those can be expensive. You know, Greenwich spaces. Um, to, these yeah. are all huge spaces mm. which are rented out by the Bridgerton world. I'm sure and the budget um, will cover the annual maintenance for that. It's, <laughs> it's a huge budget, but. Let's not fool ourselves. Yeah. Um, the um, SAG and writers strike aside. You know, Netflix are making their, their. You know, these are big series. These are some of their biggest series. Um, I believe that Queen Charlotte broke the Bridgerton records. So yeah, actually, let's talk about numbers so, for a second. I, know I don't know the numbers. What's in the public domain? Around I, I don't know okay. the numbers because I don't follow the numbers. Yeah. Um, you know. As I'm always telling you, I'm not on social networks <laughs> and I don't take yeah. care of the numbers. I have an agent for that sort you of You have stuff. an agent to manage that And they, they yeah. look at those things and I'm sure that, you know, um, it's lovely. I'm too old for that. So I'll, I'll put that question to the audience. Do you think yeah. Cyril should be on social media? Please comment below because Cyril doesn't even have like a Twitter and Instagram. A TikTok. It's like, I mean... Um, let me just answer that. Um, whether you think I should be on there or not, um, I don't care what you think <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of being on social media. That's the reason I'm not on social media. I don't want to know. Just let me know and we'll create no, a Cyril fans him. account. Okay. Don't tell him. He doesn't have to know. No, no, you don't tell him. Because, you know... Um, the thing is, let me put it this way. Yeah. The other day, I sent a photograph, which I happened to come across, of myself and um, 
Helen McCrory and Gary McDonald and a few others in a production that was in 1991 mm-hmm. at the National. And, um, Before many of our audience were yeah, born. Yeah, the legendary <laughs> Mona Hammond was in it playing my mom and Helen McCrory, who some yeah. of you will know from um, Peaky Blinders or um, the Harry Potters, indeed, or mm-hmm. any of those things. You know. um, and I sent a photo, I sent this photo on to another member of the cast who happened to be in the photo as well, and we all looked very young and beautiful, and I was very jealous of my earlier self and thought, why didn't I make more of that? Um, but within a day... Somebody came back to me, sending me the photo um, with the Instagram comment that that actor that I'd sent it to had already put it on Instagram. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. Look, you see, what was actually a sort of, it's not that, you know, it's not that private, but it was a sort of private, you know, oh, look at us all these years back. And then suddenly it's the whole world. All you know within a day, and I yeah. sent a message to him saying, "Ah, you people on social media, you just you know, it's like seconds later." I think that's right on because obviously, as an actor that's performing on stages, yeah. public stages, then you know the audiences want to see a little bit of you know a little bit more and see something that will give them a bit more context about the rich character you are the individual to an extent and just you know feel a bit more like yeah we know this guy even though they don't but they want to feel like they can see and connect <laughs> but then and... that doesn't allow you to move from character to character mm. because what it becomes is it becomes about the actor rather than telling the story mm. and playing the character mm. so it just becomes about you know um it's the stuff of action. I don't want to use any names, but mm-hmm. there are there are certain actors who, when you knew less about them, we were more interested in the story rather than going. This is a vehicle. This is a this person's vehicle. That oh, person's yeah. vehicle. So it becomes less important what they're saying. Gotcha. So you have yeah. to be as like a canvas as an actor as possible. Um, I mean, there's a. I'm on here doing a podcast, so obviously, <laughs> so obviously there's a bit of me out there. You know, yeah. we're not and pretending. We're not pretending that yeah. actors don't have, um, you know, egos. They do, you know, but most of them are in need of help. <laughs> most of them, most of them are running from themselves, you know, in some way or another, you know, inhabiting other characters. I find out a lot more about myself through playing other people, and um, you know, the way I, um, the way I approach that, um, tells me much more about myself than, than, you know, just dealing with Cyril. Um, you mentioned that in the episode of Slate Studies that we did yeah. uh, a couple of years ago. And so, I appreciate you coming out of your comfort zone to share more. Yeah, it's not and a give comfort give the fans zone. a little it's, bit more to understand it's just, and appreciate you a bit more too. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, I mean, I, I'm not running away from, you know, if somebody said, um, would you swap with Denzel? I'd go, yeah, I think I could, I think <laughs> I could handle some of that. But, um... Mm. But even there, you know, I mean, actually, essentially, he's he's a 
Oh, here we go. We've lost power. Everything's gone off. <coughs> is it still recording? Yeah, it's still recording. What? It's still recording. Oh, it's still is recording. It? Okay, so we'll just do a okay. quick wrap-up. So hang on. <coughs> well, I, it's not going on mic. It's all... <coughs> Totally off. It's all the power's gone. All the power's gone. Yeah. It's still recording from the camera. Oh, okay, so okay. we'll do a quick. Hello, we're still recording. We're still recording, way, but we but have. Know. You know, uh, Depa has run out, so our gas meter bill has <laughs> finished. So, ah, that's me. You see, we'll this go. is a very Nigerian thing. You see. <laughs> pay you your bill, pay your full bill, so we don't get control. Yeah, pay the bill. <laughs> this boy, we would, we would now we be in Hollywood. for another 10 minutes. We would have been in Hollywood doing some major, major thing. But here we are in East London and they haven't paid. <laughs> you see? All that's left for me to do is to thank you for coming through. You. Really appreciate you sharing with us on the Real Happy Hour podcast. And until the next time, please like, subscribe, share. You'll be back to Ola for the next episode of the Real Happy Hour podcast. And Unzube Ufodike signing out with our fantastic host, Cyril, Cyril. Inri. Fantastic guest. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you can you can edit that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.